Welcome to Radio Imagination. This is an exploration of the life, work, and influence of the author Octavia E. Butler. She was a science fiction writer born in Pasadena, California. I'm Savannah Wood. In 2016, a decade after Butler's death, a group of artists and writers explored her archives at the Huntington Library to create new work commissioned by Clock Shop, an arts organization in Los Angeles. Over the course of the year, Clockshop also produced 14 public programs with partners throughout Los Angeles and Pasadena to dig deeper into Butler's legacy. Now we'll hear from Tom Carroll, creator of Tom Explores Los Angeles, about one of these final public programs. So Radio Imagination, both the year-long deep dive into Butler's legacy and this podcast are just about done. We've heard from the artists and writers involved in the project and come to understand who Octavia E. Butler was, not just as a writer, but as a person. Most of these things have been spoken or written down. So with that in mind, we bring you the final chapter of Radio Imagination. Yes, a visual tour of Butler's Altadena, the component we've been missing. So you might be wondering who our tour guide is going to be. Well... I'll let her introduce herself. My name is Ayana Jameson. I'm the founder and director of the Octavia Butler Legacy Network. She'll guide us through the stops. Now, she's given this tour many times, shifting it slightly depending on her audience. About a month ago, Clock Shop asked her if she'd give a tour. She said yes. So in early December, about 50 people hopped on a big yellow school bus and puttered around Altadena and Pasadena, Ayana showing them Butler's lived experience. The school she attended, the library she read book after book in, and the graveyard where she's buried. All of these visual clues that helped us see Butler. The visual landscape she rode in, the trees she sat under, the mountains she stared up at. I met up with Ayana a few days before the bus tour to try and understand it stop by stop. So that way you too can now see Butler's landscape people would come in from out of town and they would want to pay their respects. So I started meeting up with them and kind of talking with them in the car about what they were seeing and the landmarks and the books that they would recognize from my home, between my home and Pasadena. And so that's how it sort of developed with sort of one-on-one or one-on-two small conversations about the research that people were doing or the things they were interested in. And then um, they've grown and gotten larger and larger. And for a clock shop, Um, They knew that I gave tours, and I sort of adapted it and scaled it way, way down um, and condensed it so that it could uh, begin and end at the armory where the show's happening. Do we understand her differently by seeing her home, by seeing her gravesite? What what do we get that we wouldn't otherwise get if we didn't go on this physical tour? Well, one thing I think that lots of people uh, miss, especially researchers, is that a lot of the books that were published are very California and Los Angeles-based, and a lot of folks miss that. They theorize and want to extract philosophies and different things like that, but they're not realizing that when she's describing something, she's describing what we can see around us. Um, And also uh, the way that her family lived. Um, I think you you kind of miss the the differences. We think about Octavia being uh, an award winner and someone who got the MacArthur grant, but also she was the daughter of a domestic. And when she was growing up, they lived plantation style in a house with a wealthy white folks that could afford to hire a family of black folks to 
you know, clean and caretake for them, which is a very, very different kind of um, profile, right, than um, someone who's won all of these awards and gotten all this recognition. So I think that's that's the piece that, that you don't get when you're just reading by yourself or when you're just reading an article or, a, or some kind of blog post or uh, a scholarly article or whatever the case may be, is that is really, really rooted in Los Angeles and California and the San Gabriel Mountains and the weather and the plants that are native to here and things like that. So in 2011, um, I was doing research for my doctorate and I went to visit Octavia's grave and I couldn't find it. It was um, uh, not easily accessible. Can you recount for me the first time you went to the cemetery? Did you ask someone, where's Octavia Butler's gravesite? Or how did that play out? How, how could you not find it? Well, when I went out there in 2011, two different people came out of the office to help me find it in the August heat and they could not locate it also. So that's how, like, in-depth, and, I mean, it's, like, sweltering outside. Um, there was a cinder block wall nearby. Like, there was just no, no way to find it. How I found it was that some other person had posted photos on the Internet. You know, I'm looking it up, looking at the pictures that someone has taken and putting an arrow near the fence, and I'm, like, looking around, and then I see where it should be, and I have to go and tear the grass off of the headstone. Like, it's totally over, overgrown with crabgrass. So that's, it was very dramatic. The a gentleman that they sent out eventually because they felt so bad that I couldn't find it, their computer was not accurate or whatever, and he takes a weed whacker, he cleans off the spot, and then he comes to me and says, do you have any other relatives that I can take care of for you? And I was like, you know, just overcome with emotion, thinking like, wow, what if this was my relative? What if she really was related to me? And I didn't correct him, and I felt kind of pressed to think about what if she were my relative and how would I feel if that's the way her grave was kept even if I you know never visited her so so did you try to explain to the groundskeeper the importance of of Octavia Butler or did you just said I'm looking for this person well, the groundskeeper, is, his job is just to try to keep it neat and clean. And it's a huge, huge place, and he said he was the only person that was tasked with that kind of work. It's not like Forest Lawn or some other big Disneyland for the dead kind of place. It's very local and very small and not, not maintained the same way, right? And eventually, a couple of years later, I believe in 2014, there was a little sign near the grave that said... Um, with the loved ones of Octavia Butler, please visit the office, and the headstone was missing. Um, there had been an error made uh, because her name and her mother's name were the same. So her name was Octavia Estelle Butler, um, and her mother's name was Octavia Margaret. So when her mother passed away in 1996, Octavia E. bought the grave site near some other relatives and had her mother in buried there so when she died in 2006 they were like oh the headstone came after the funeral let's put it where it says octavia butler so they thought that they were together and it was discovered by someone who had attended the funeral obviously i did not they were like oh this is not where we remember the funeral being so this is the wrong place so her grave was unmarked for nearly eight years just totally unmarked and the headstone 
was placed on top of her mother's grave, which is a totally and completely different site. I would not have known had I not been continually coming back over and over again to bring people to pay their respects and giving the tour. Wait, so let me get this straight. So 2011, the headstone that was weed whacked and cleared off, that turned out not to be the place where she was buried. Yes, yes. She was buried in a completely different area of the cemetery with a whole different zip code, basically. You'll see on Sunday, um, she literally moved from the margins of the grounds to the center. Very feminist, right? Margin to center. And it's one of those things. It's just like Zora Neale Hurston, right? I think Toni Morrison is like going around tromping in the swamps of Florida or wherever, right? Claiming to be her niece, saying that she can't find the grave. And what is she going to do? I had this completely similar experience without any conscious uh, knowledge of that. So yes, that's what happened. Um, and it's, it, it's one of those sort of mind-blowing things. That's right. It's like you can win you can win the genius grant and be in an unmarked grave because of an error? I guess so. Wow, so you had a renewed urgency for your role, I'm assuming, after after that, a renewed sense of purpose. I mean, Well, I, I just felt like it was kind of a shame that that had happened for so long. And that it's heartbreaking when your loved one passes away. And I personally don't often go and visit my loved one. I just felt like it was a complicated situation and it was unfortunate that it happened but that there's so many people that care. Um, even though she didn't have kids, there's so many people that have gone there um, before and after the discovery of the misplaced headstone that, you know, it's exponential and phenomenal. Well, the cemetery, is that the last stop on the tour? That's sort of one of the first stops that we depart from. Um, the, it's sort of the farthest away from the armory. So we'll go there first because I think it takes the most time. Okay. Um, and I think it's important for people to sort of see that. What other, do you mind detailing the other stops we're gonna make on the tour? Well, that's the major stop. Most of the stops are kind of drive-bys in the interest of time. So um, there are lots of landmarks and different things that are between the armory and the cemetery. So there's a house that her mother lived in. Um, there's also, public libraries that she frequented, which I feel like are just as important as her home because she spent a lot of time there. I'm thinking, I'm remembering a story that she told in an interview where she went on a field trip, let's say, I don't know, first grade to the public library. Um, and up until probably fourth grade, her mother would withdraw and re-enroll her in schools depending on whether or not they had free childcare. So at this particular juncture, when she was at whatever school, they went on this field trip and her mom picked her up from the daycare, so it was probably in the afternoon or in the evening. She said, oh, we went to the public library today. I really liked it. And her mom turned the car and went right back to the library and took her there. Then she read every single book in the children's section of the library until she ran out and was not allowed to read the grown-up books yet. So you, you had to be, I think, 14 to read um, in the grown-up section of the library. 
I love picturing like carding a 12 year old and be like, hold on. I know. You got two more years. You're underage. Yeah, but she was like six feet tall, right? So if they didn't know that she was 12, like she, you know, if she hadn't had the kitty thing, like if she could have probably bypassed it. But she said she stopped going to the library because it was insulting her intelligence. She's like, they're not getting any new stuff in here. I've already read everything. So she would have had to have spent lots of time in that library. Um, And it was called the Peter Pan Room before at the main branch library. It's not called that anymore. But I'm like, that should be the Octavia Butler. She Like any other kid that read every single book in the whole children's library, I've never heard of that. True, I think that'd be fair. That even if she did nothing else with her life, just for having that accomplishment, you should have it renamed after you. Yeah, that's what I think too. Because I can imagine, you know, just being that determined and that focused and that self-aware and self-motivated. I don't know how you were at the age of seven or eight, but I certainly wasn't reading all the books in the library. Definitely not. No. <laughs> we, I don't know what I was doing, but that, that was not it. I asked Diana why she founded the Octavia Butler Legacy Network in the first place. Eventually, I was kind of so struck and so kind of heartbroken about how things looked and how things were that I thought, why don't we celebrate Octavia Butler and encourage people to visit her and pay their respects? And that's how I founded Octavia Butler Legacy Network. And so I don't know, my thinking hasn't like changed, but it's more on a continuum of there's so many people doing work and so many people that are inspired. Um, why not really highlight the working class, organic, pedestrian, everyday person that wrote so many of those stories um, rather than the hero worship and things that we project onto her, which still happens and it's fine, but it's a different kind of sensibility, I find. You can find the grave of Octavia Butler in Mountain View Cemetery in Altadena. In the middle of a grassy field, there is her tombstone, and written on it, a simple quote, all that you touch you change. All that you change, changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. They're the first lines of one of Butler's most popular books, Parable of the Sower. As a final sentence in Butler's story, the quote takes on a new life. Butler died young, but she took control of her destiny, not only forging the world she wanted to see, but creating the life she wanted to live.